let's open up our Bibles tonight to Deuteronomy chapter 15. As we continue our journey through the Old Testament, I don't know if you've ever heard that saying, um, methods are many, principles are few, methods always change, principles never do. Have you guys ever heard that? You're like, yeah, you said it a million times. (laughs) Well, it's true. Methods are many. Uh, Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. You know, when you're reading the Old Testament, sometimes it can be tough. You're like, man, what does this have to do with us today? We're living in the New Covenant and, you know, we don't uh, have the same exact things. But, you know, when you're reading the Old Testament, um, look for the principles. Look for the things that last, the things that never change. Uh, some of the things that we're going to see in our study tonight is, uh, is the blessings that God gives to obedient people. And never forget that, you guys. Uh, you want God to bless you. And by that, I don't mean making you healthy and wealthy and prosperous. Um, in the New Testament, it's a lot deeper than that. Uh, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous spiritually. And you want God to bless you. And you want the good things that only God can give to you. But you know there's that principle that we, we need to do our best to be a blessable people, to be people who are obedient, people who seek his face. Um, and we'll see that tonight. We're going to see how God blesses obedience. And so never underestimate your integrity and never underestimate you being a godly man and a godly woman and seeking the Lord in prayer and the word. And a lot of times, you know, you don't see the results right away because God will test you whether or not you really love him. But as you continue down that course of integrity and righteousness and holiness, you're going to see that he will bless your life. And he'll just blow you away when you do things his way. We're going to see that in our study tonight. We're also going to see, in one sense, kind of an underlying principle about how God has given us a family, you know. And we live in the world, and and not everybody's our brother and sister, although I know a lot of times we call everybody bro and sis, and even though they're really not. But when you become a Christian, you really are a brother, and you really are a sister. And there's something in that that's very special. You know, um, there's something about the family. There's something about the brothers and sisters that God wants us to enjoy and to live uh, in a way that I think we oftentimes don't, you know. I don't know what your family life was growing like up, you know, what it was like when you were growing up. Some families are tight, huh? Some families are really tight, and some families aren't. And it's like you would never even know they're related, you know? And when it comes to the Christian life, you know, we need to know that God says to do good, especially to those who are of the faith. And there's something about the brothers. Last night I was blessed to be able to be here in the in the men's fellowship. And that's something I think the Lord's laying out my heart just to come and hang out with the brothers. And I encourage you, if you can, come out on Saturday morning uh, with the brothers. And there's something about the brothers. If you can't, I understand. But if you can, come. And you sisters, you get blessed on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and different things. And not only just the brothers with the brothers or the sisters with us, but all of us. And there's something about the family that God wants us to to enjoy and to, to just say, you know what, I'm going to show grace and kindness and love and reach out. Why? Because that's my brother. And that's my sister. 
and, and there needs to be that family heart. We're going to see that tonight in our study. And then if we get far enough, we'll see how long you know, we go, see if you guys stay awake. Maybe we might hit chapter 16, and we'll talk about the different feasts and the way God wants us to remember to never, ever forget what he has done in our life. And so look what it says right here in Deuteronomy 15. It says in verse 1, At the end of every seven years you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother. Except when there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance, only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Again, remember, Moses is giving to the people the principles, the precepts that they would need to enjoy the land that God had given them. And that's what the Bible is. You know, God's given us life and he wants us to go out and to exalt him. He wants us to go out and to enjoy him. He wants us to live in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, everything you'll ever want, everything you'll ever need. He wants to bless you in life. And the way that we'll enjoy it and exalt him and have all these things is simply by living a life of obedience. And he gives to them an interesting thing right here. Every seven years, it would be the Sabbath year uh, that all the, all the debts, think about this, would be canceled. Wouldn't that be cool, man? <laughs> I wish we were still under a theocracy, man. <laughs> What a blessing that would be, man. Because really, imagine the burden that would be lifted for so many. And in one sense, it would be kind of like a new start in life. You know, I know America would definitely benefit from this, huh? How many of you here would benefit? No, I'm just curious. <laughs> you know, according to MSN.com, the average American is $8,000 in credit card debt. 43% of Americans, they say, spend more than they earn each year. That's a high percentage, huh? According to another source, the average debt for those who have multiple credit cards is over $15,000, man, with 609.8 million credit cards held by U.S. consumers. They say the total U.S. consumer debt is $2.4 trillion, man. That's a lot of money. And so imagine the gracious blessing, you guys, if every seven years on the Sabbath year, all the debt was released, forgiven, wiped clean. I mean, there would be parties. Huh? <laughs> now, of course, we know that the American problem that we have today is usually different than the Jewish problem was for them back then. You know, for us, oftentimes the debt is due to greed and not need. But sometimes there are those times in our life when, you know, the debt is due to needs. Maybe there was an illness in the family and you don't have life and your health insurance or maybe you lost your job. You know, there's close to 10 percent of Americans today who are out of work and they're just trying to, to make ends meet. 
You know, there are those times when there's that, you know, tough financial situation. What a blessing it would be to have that debt erased. Well, that's what God wanted to bless his people with. That's what life was supposed to be for the Jews who were governed by God. Remember, they were under a theocracy. God wanted to bless their life. And so what God said is he commanded here the lender to bless the borrower in obedience to him. And and that's a principle that we see throughout the scriptures. You know, not only that God wants the brethren to look out for each other, but there should be a special place for the saints, a special bond among the brethren. Of course, look at verse three. It says of a foreigner, you may require it. In other words, if it wasn't a brother, you know, this didn't apply. He said, but when it comes to your brother, there's to be that special relationship. And that's what the Lord says, you know, within the pages of Scripture. When over in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's something that's supposed to be a a special bond between the brethren, between the believers. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Uh, As a matter of fact, Paul writes to Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. And so, you know, if you're there and you're lending out money, chances are you're doing good financially. And the individual that you're lending to is not. And, you know, if you wanted to, you could be a good businessman. You could say, hey, pay up. And, 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 but God says, no, reach deeper. I want you to be a good Christian man. And when I say, you know, release it, then, you know, you release it. You know, I, I've had people do that to me. I have one guy, I remember, man, he borrowed money to move into an apartment and it was thousands of dollars, you know. And, you know, another time I had my, my niece or my cousin, uh, you know, same thing, you know, helped her move in. Uh, you figure I learned my lesson. But, you know, it, it's, it's cool the way that it worked out. I mean, one time, I mean, thousands of dollars. Another time, you know what, we as Christians, we just said, it's all right, man, just let it go. And, and that's the heart, I think, that God wants us to have. God says to the lender on that Sabbath year, let it go. Look what would happen if they did let it go. It says, For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance. Again, only if you carefully obey the voice. Now, it's not just the word. I like that. The voice. His voice. The voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. God says, if you carefully obey, you'll be blessed. And by the way, as you read through this chapter today, we're going to see five times that God mentions the blessings for the obedient. We've already seen it in chapter 15, verse 4, that the Lord will bless you in the land. We've already seen it in chapter 15, verse 6, that God will bless. He told the Jews, if you obey, you'll end up even lending to the other nations and not borrowing. Now, that's interesting because we kind of see that really applicable to us as Americans today because America used to be the one that would lend out the money. You remember that? But we're not like that anymore. As a matter of fact, today in America, 
we owe China, just China alone, close to $800 billion. And because America has not done things God's way, we're becoming the tail and not the head. That's what the Bible says. I'm telling you right now, man, and I know for some of us it's not easy. You know, it might be hard to let go of a debt or whatever it is that God is commanding you to let go of or to change or to modify in your life. But blessing will come to the Christian who does things God's way. And that's the bottom line. It's very simple. We've got to be obedient people. Otherwise, we become the tail. You know, part of the reason that we are where we are as Americans is because we become the opposite of what God wants us to be. We become greedy rather than benevolent. You know, because when you look at this right here, although the principles and precepts are written to Israel, principles do apply to us. Because look what he says there in verse 7. He says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide, notice that, to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing, here it is again, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. That's a lot of stuff. All your works and all which to which you put your hand for the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you saying you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. He says, you know, let the debt go on the Sabbath year. Give people a, 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 a new chance in life. He says, just let it go. And that's a cool principle that we see within Scripture. And just in case you're there and, you know, the Sabbath year is about to happen and you're like, wow, no, I don't know if I can help them. There's this principle that God has within the pages of Scripture of just, you know, helping the poor and, and really having that kind of heart. You know, here within the context of the release of debts, Moses warns the Jews and and he says, don't let that stop you from helping the poor when there's a genuine need and you have the money, you have the means to financially help them. You know, here's an individual, they're truly down and out. They ask for help and then you think, no way, because the day of the Lord's release is right around the corner and, you know, the Sabbath year is coming up and what ends up happening, you harden your heart and God says, I want you to know this, that is wicked. That's wicked. You know, and just that whole principle of, you know, doing so you can receive, of, you know, giving even so you can get back. That's not what it's all about. It's like, you know what, I'm going to help them. And you just you just purely give to that individual. You know, that's our got to be the heart that we have, you guys. You know, Jesus said in Luke six thirty four, and if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. First John is a great book about, you know, what it really means to be a Christian. And he says in chapter 3, verse 17, whoever has this world's goods. And so here's an individual who has the world's goods. And they seize his brother in need and he shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? 
says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, he really wants us, you guys, uh, to help those people out. And by the way, in looking at this right here, it's not simply a certain action or amount that God is watching. As a matter of fact, it's primarily the attitude. Look what it says right there in verse 10. You shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. You're like, okay, here's an individual that needs help. Oh, man, I can't believe and you're writing the check out like this. And, you know, you're like, God says, don't even do that. When you give, you don't give that way. Warren Wiersbe said, not only must we have generous hands, but we should have glad hearts. Giving is an occasion not for shrewd calculation, but for jubilation. Paul may have had his, this verse in mind when he wrote 2 Corinthians 9-7, when the Bible says that we're to give not grudgingly of necessity. Oh, I have to. For God loves a cheerful giver. Did you guys know that? God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word is where we get our English word hilarious. Man, you're hilarious. And this is so cool. You're just ecstatic about it. And that really should be our heart. You know, we're always going to have the opportunity to to give. Uh, Look what we read here in verse 11. It says, for the poor will never cease from the land. You know, when you get your paycheck, and a lot of times, man, I, I've seen it, and I've been guilty of it myself. You spend it all on yourself. You spend it all on yourself rather than just, you know, stopping and, and holding on, you know. And like I was trying to teach my kids about this, I was trying to teach them, you know, don't spend all your money, you know, well, I'm telling them about what I'm trying to do, not to spend all my money in the beginning of the pay period, man, because then, you know, a week goes by and you have nothing, you know, and. Um, you know, you use wisdom and, you know, let it, you know, spread out a little bit and have beans and rice for, for a few days, you know, and, and just kind of let it go. And then, and then who knows, you have a few dollars in your pocket and you see somebody who's in need and you're able to help them or it's this little kid's birthday and you give them a dollar or whatever it is, but you're not thinking just of yourself. You're really thinking, you know what, this is God's money. And, and I want to help people if they're, Lord, if there's anyone that you want me to help. And you're just ready you're ready to give. And you can be an individual, and I've seen not just the rich. Yeah, the rich is very applicable to them. But anybody here, huh? When you have that heart, I've seen it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because it says right here, the poor you'll always have. Don't tell me that you haven't had opportunity. If you're here today and you're thinking, well, you know what? I never, it never comes up in my life. It, it's, it must, you must have your eyes closed. You're not looking for that opportunity, man. You know, you can have a sandwich in your, in your car and you can give to the people by the side of the freeway if you have the heart. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just a matter of principle. It's how God wants us to care for one another. There's always an opportunity. Jesus said the same thing, the poor you will have with you always. Matthew 26, 11, Mark 14, 7. That's what he said, John 12, 8. There's always opportunity. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but every single day, 10,000 people die from starvation every day. And that's why, you know, you see those commercials on TV, and of course you've got to do your homework, make sure you give to a good organization. But, man, a lot of that's legit. And you have to pray about getting involved. You know, we, unfortunately, have lost heart in this area. And I know John Stott in his book, The Radical Disciple, he lists four primary dangerous trends in the world today, trends that we must resist. One is pluralism. 
And that's the lie that says every road leads to God or leads to heaven. That's not true. The other trend is relativism. That's what, the one that says, okay, what's right for you is not right for him, and it's just a matter of what you know they think is right. And so homosexuality is okay because you know that's you know okay. That's our culture. We're accepting it. No, the question is, what does God say? See, He determines what's right and what's wrong, not us. So we have to resist pluralism. We have to resist relativism. We have to resist narcissism, which says, I love myself. It's all about me, me, me. And then the last one is materialism. Those are four trends in the world today. Materialism is a preoccupation with material things. Be careful, you guys. Be really, really careful. The emphasis in this section is on faith that produces generosity. If we are hard-hearted or tight-fisted, then it's evident that we don't really believe that God keeps his promises and provides for those who give to the needy. Jesus became poor that he might make us rich, and he blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. And so we see these different situations with the brethren. The next one right here in verses 12 through 18 is the law concerning Jewish servants or bond servants. It says in your brother in verse 12, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years. Then in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because the Lord loves you and your house since he prospers with you because he loves you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. And here it is again, then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. We read in verse 4, the Lord will greatly bless you. In verse 6, for the Lord your God will bless you. In verse 10, for this the Lord your God will bless you. And then here in verse 18, then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. And if you, you know, don't get this stuff with, you know, lending and giving to the poor and even letting your brother go free, at least I pray you at least get this, that God blesses obedience. You know, that the things that we want in life that really bring satisfaction to our hearts are not the things that the world can give. We long for, we crave for, there's a vacuum inside of us for the things that only God can give. And God will give it to the obedient disciple. And so, man, I encourage you to do things God's way. I encourage you. If he says march, you march. If he says, you know, jump, you say how high. That our whole life as husbands and wives and parents and, and ministers and just every role and relationship and responsibility we have in life would be dictated by him. And that we just follow commands. Because he will bless you. And that's why it's so important to study the Bible and to read it and to learn it and to live it. And God will bless your life. It's so cool. 
You know, I've been a Christian now since 1989. It's over 20 years, man. And, you know, not that I've been like Mr. Perfect by any means, man, but, you know, God uh, has blessed my life. And I know a lot of you here, can't you say the same thing? God is good, huh? He really is, man. And as we continue to grow and we get deeper in our commitment to Him, you know, I've been a Christian now for 21 years, but I'll be honest with you, in one sense I feel like it's a new beginning in my life. Because I feel and I sense and I believe and I hear like he's ministering new things to me and deeper things to me. And he, he continues to, to change me and convict me and show me areas that need to. And then I surrender to him. And it's like, man, you, you, you see the blessings of life when you do things God's way, you know. And, and that's the thing that we see throughout the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures, This time, the blessing is when you let your brother go free. Again, in the seventh year, we see right here, the brother, the fellow Jew who had become your indentured servant was to be set free. You know, and that's not the norm. And, you know, if you had a servant, then you would keep him for life. Hey, I paid for them. You know, but God is saying again, you know what? This is your brother. It's different with him. This is your brother. This is your brother. Let him go. After seven years, he's done. You, you let him go. And when you send him away, don't do it grudgingly again. You know, what you want to do is you want to bless him. You want to give him, you know, from your flock and from your grain and, and help him. Help him have a new start in life. That's really what you see there. Because, you know, what's he going to do now? Well, somebody's got to come along and help him and say, here, you know what? I'm gonna, the Lord say my heart, this, 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 and this. And I want to encourage you that the Christian life is simply a series of new beginnings. And here we are again today. And I want, I want to tell you something, man. God wants to do a new work in your life. And you encourage each other with that. And that's what he says. You know, you, you give to them. All along as you're giving to them, you remember in your heart, where, where would you be without the Lord? You know, because sometimes we think, well, if I have it all together and they don't have it all together, and so it's their fault, and you know what, they're all messed up, and so you don't really care, pray, or get involved, but where would you be without the Lord? Where would you be without the grace of God that He showered down on you? What goodness does any of us have apart from Him? Nothing. It's the Lord who does the work. It's the Lord who changes us. And it's the Lord who's going to change them. But sometimes they just need somebody to come alongside of them and remind them of how good God is and to show them God's love. And so he says, you go free. You know, you've done your six years. You go free. You go ahead and, you know, you let them go. And that's what they were to do. That was the way their society was in those days. I remember growing up, we had uh, certain ladies that would come. I don't know if this was legal or not. But when I lived with my Aunt Mary, man, she'd bring these girls across from the border. I don't know if that was... I have no idea. I don't know all the details, man. <laughs> but I do know that they would live in, and I think they were just given, you know, room and board or whatever. And, man, they served us. And it was kind of like, I guess you could say, having an indentured servant, you know. And so... Uh, my femurae would cling to them. But eventually there was a time, you know, let them go. You let them go and you let them go and stand on their own two feet. And God has done some pretty amazing works in their life. But, you know, it's kind of similar to that. But then he says right here in this culture, but then maybe there's a time. What happens when that individual doesn't want to leave? He says right here, when that individual, they love you. It says right there 
in verse 16. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you. What happens when they don't want to go since he's, you know, been blessed under your care? Moses says there's another option, and that is for him or her to become what we would now call a bondservant. And what happens if this individual makes this type of commitment that they become the servant there in the house, it says, forever. Uh, If you go over to Exodus 21, we, we see the same thing. Remember, Deuteronomy largely is repeated from, you know, the other books of the Bible. But Exodus chapter 21, same thing. It says in verse 1, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant... He shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant, I like this, plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. And it's cool the way it worked, huh? I I just plainly, clearly, sincerely, genuinely, I love my master. You know, and that's cool. And so he says, I'm going to stay. And he ends up getting his ear pierced right there. So ear piercing is okay for you guys. As long as your parents say it's all right. (laughs) And it applied to Israel back then um, in looking at that. But we also know that it applies to the church today. As a matter of fact, I think most of you know that in the Old Testament, God would speak uh, oftentimes through these visual illustrations. And what this illustrates to us now is a New Testament truth that you are invited to become a bondservant as well. Tell you what, man, you go and go ahead and do whatever you want. And you could, huh, if you want to. God has not made us robots. Any one of us here could go and do whatever we want. You know, that's the type of free will that we have. But God, I think, here challenges us to have this type of commitment to him. Let me ask you a question. Do you love him? Can you plainly say that you love him? Do you love your family that God has blessed you with? Do you love them? Do you recognize that you are prospering because of the Lord? Do you recognize that? Are you willing to lay down your rights to rule over your own life? Are you willing to serve him forever? If so, after service, we will pierce your ear right here, man. (laughs) No, it's actually something that doesn't happen in your ear. It happens in your heart. Commitment. Are you in? Are you in? Now, it's kind of interesting. Why would they pierce the ear? Well, I think I don't think that's random. I don't think it's like, you know, it's pretty or anything. I don't think that's why. I think it's because we need to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to me. God, what do you want me to do? And you're listening and your ear gets given over to the Lord. Because really, that's what life is. A lot of times I think the struggles that we have in life are not, you know, because, you know, we're we're just defiantly disobeying the things that, that God's telling us to do. A lot of times it's just that we're not even listening to what he's trying to tell us. 
you know, in the different areas of our life that need to be surrendered to him. And so we listen when we become a bondservant of the Lord. You know, in the New Testament, there are seven individuals explicitly called bondservants. Paul, the apostle, Epaphras, Timothy, James, Peter, Jude, they're all called bondservants. Of course, we know this is epitomized in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, Philippians 2.7. He himself was the bondservant. And we see that when you read Philippians 2, he just did not do his own will. He humbled himself. He yielded himself even to the point of death and even the death of the cross. You know, Christ was the best bondservant. And yet at the same time, really all Christians are called to be bondservants. You know, you may be here today and you're thinking, Manny, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader. Well, who knows? Maybe one day you will be. But not only that, it's not just for leaders or pastors. It's for all of us. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 15 through 16, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. You know, God wants us to, to lay down our rights. And surrender them and to live for him. And in looking at this section right here, you just see the brothers, man. You know, hey, you owe me money. No big deal, man. You know what? Don't even worry about it. And hey, you need some help? Sure. You know what? I've got a few extra dollars. And you know what? I'll, I'll give to you. And, and you know what? Well, this is the right, man. He's supposed to, you know, work six years and seven years. And, you know, no, you know what? Go free. I'll help you get a new start in life. Even if it costs me, as a matter of fact, it, it usually does. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And so you, you know, you're a brother. It's this is about brothers. This is how we're supposed to be in the church. And look around, you guys. Maybe after church you'll find one person who's hurting. You go up to them. I mean, it's cool. I thank God for our friends that we have here. But there may be a few people here who feel very alone. Because someone hasn't reached out to them. And we need to have that type of heart. I know one thing, man. If you're here today and you feel alone, God sees you. And God loves you. And God wants to do a great work in your life. And we go on to read here. More laws, laws of the Lord, teaching lessons from the Lord. Look what it says in verse 19. All the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. But if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You can go ahead and eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it on the ground like water. And here the Lord, he shares with us the law of the firstborn. And if you remember, it's kind of in preparation for the Passover, which we're going to see in chapter 16. But it's also not just preparation for the Passover, but it's a principle for life. You know, and the whole the whole law of the firstborn is because God gave his firstborn. Because God gave Jesus. The Father gave the Son. 
And therefore, when you read Exodus chapter 12 and you read through the whole uh, establishment and institution of the Passover, God says, whenever you have a firstborn male, you got to give it to me. And you could take it down to the temple or the tabernacle and you could sacrifice it and a portion would go to the priest. A portion you could grub right there, you can eat right there. You know, and that was all part of God's way of giving to God the best of the best, the fat of the firstborn. But not only that, the main reason is not that God wanted the meat. Believe you me, it's not that God is carnivorous, you know, or something like that. You don't want to know why God did all this. He had the holidays and different things. It was for us. It was a constant reminder of what he's done. Because remember, they were in Egypt. They had no hope. And what happened? God said, okay, you, you, you sacrifice the Passover lamb. You take the blood. You put it in the doorpost and the lintel of your home. And when the angel of death comes and he sees the blood, he will pass over. And in that whole process, it was the death of the firstborn there in Egypt. God had you know, given them the freedom that, that they then enjoyed. And that's exactly what's happened. It's just so amazing to me that the Jews aren't believers because that's exactly what happened in Jesus Christ. That you and I were in the world and we had no hope. Some of you guys remember, man, you were so addicted to drugs. You were so lost. You did not know the Lord. You were caught up in religion or whatever it is. And he set you free. He broke the chains, right? But we forget. We forget. And that's why God has all these different holidays. And we'll see it next week, the different feasts. And here we see it with you know, giving the firstborn. That'd be kind of weird, huh? You have your flock and, you know, then this, you know, you have this, you know, female and then, you know, she gives birth to a male and you take it down there and, and you give it to the Lord and you're remembering. And, and then your kids are going with you. It says, you know, throughout the history, your kids are going down and they're like, hey, Dad, why, why are we going to Jerusalem? Oh, because we're going to give to God the firstborn. Why? Why, Dad? Well, this is why, because this is where we were at at one time. And this is what God has done. And it would be a testimony that parents are supposed to pass down to their children. And their children, they don't have to develop their own testimony, man. Because they can hear what God's done in your life. And they don't have to make the same mistakes. Because you'll pass the baton on to the next generation with passion, with passion. And that's why God would say, you know, you give to the Lord the firstborn. That was the law right there, right? And the thing is, though, in verse 21, he says, but if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You don't give to God the defective stuff. You know, um, you can eat it if you want to. And the stranger can eat it. The unclean can eat it. That's different. But we're supposed to give to God the best. And I encourage you to do that, man. Give to God off the top. Give to God the best. Don't give him the leftovers. Don't say, okay, it's time to pray now and you know, it's, you know, you're you know, stretching and you're on your bed. Okay, Lord. <laughs> and next thing you know, man, you're asleep. That doesn't count. Okay, you're like, but I had a dream. No, it doesn't count. <laughs> 
know, you give God the best. Some of you here are morning people. Some of you here are evening people. You, you just give to God the best in life. I remember when I used to play baseball, man. I remember. You know, we had guys that would hustle and guys that wouldn't. You know, and they just did not give forth their greatest effort. They just didn't. You know, I don't know why. And, you know, God just says, I just don't want you to live that in your Christian life as well. You know, I think that a lot of times we do. And so I want to encourage you guys not to do that, not to give God the defective stuff. Sometimes people, they donate to the, the church, you know, the stinky couches and stuff. And, you know, and it's like, man, you, you don't want it anymore? And you think it's good for God? I mean, come on, man. You know, it's not the way it works, man. I tell you what, you keep the stinky couch and you... You give to God the new couch. Now, we don't need a new couch, but I'm just telling you, that's the way a lot of times we are, you know, with the Lord, you know. Um, As a matter of fact, in the book of Malachi, if you want to turn there real quick and we'll close with this. In Malachi chapter 1, it says in verse 6, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, how? In what way have we despised your name? He said, you offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle the fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. In that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit is contemptible, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. He says, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And just Jesus saying to us, you know, to the priests of today, you guys, let's give God the best. Let's pray with passion and faith and let's get into the word until God, you know, really communicates to us. And let's love um, the way that we're supposed to and live and, and just do everything as unto the Lord. And as we do, it's amazing, man, what ends up happening in our life. God is honored and, and, and God will be blessed. And so we kind of come back to where we started, I think, today, that God blesses obedience. He really does. 
Obedience doesn't save you. You know, we are saved as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, in His blood, in His cross, and what He did for us on Calvary. But from there, it's a, it's a launching pad to now go out and to live the life. If He commanded you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, then you can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if He commanded you to, to lead your family, you can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And whatever it is, whatever we need to overcome, whatever challenges that are before us, by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can go out and we can live a life of obedience. It's cool, huh? You know, in reading this right here, I'm like, Lord, I wish we were a theocracy. This democracy, this election stuff, this politics stuff, it really is sickening, isn't it? It really is sickening to me. And now, you know, the Republicans are in control of this, you know, and it's like, you know what, are we looking to the Republicans? I'm sorry, man, but the Tea Party is not, is not going to work out. It's not, it's not what it, we need to repent. And we as a church, in, in one sense, the Lord's the answer. And in the secondary sense, the church is the answer. When the church begins to live like the church should, we, by God's grace, will change the world. And that begins with you. That begins with me. And that begins now. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your family. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters here, Lord. May you encourage them. Help us to know, Lord, that we can live this life because you live in us. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to do a work and pour out your Holy Spirit upon everyone here, Father. And I pray, Lord, that just by your grace, Lord, that you would do a new work. Tonight, Lord, we would pierce our ears. But tonight, we would pierce our heart. And whatever we need to do, Lord, whatever you want us to do, Lord, help us to obey. I love you, Lord. I thank you for your beautiful people. Thank you so much, Lord. We just pray, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would encourage them and strengthen them and speak to them. Lord, it's a work that only God can do. It's not, and we know this, Lord, it's not a work that any man can do, that any woman can do. It's a work that only God and you can do. But I believe that you can do this in our hearts. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much. Be with our, our church, your people, those who couldn't make it tonight. Encourage them. We pray for this city, Lord. We pray for the salvation of this city, the leaders. And we also pray, Lord, for those, even in our nation, our leaders, American people, as a general population, Lord, that you would just sweep across this land. You pour out your spirit, Lord. We're, we're not many, but we are strong in you. And even as Gideon, Lord, was used, I pray you would use this church. We love you and we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This all